Last week was the the day of Pentecost, and we were looking at um, Acts chapter 2, and just revisiting the story again of how the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. It's such a great story, and such a great God, that he would not just leave us alone, but he would send the comforter. He would send the helper. He would send the, he he would just, I mean, name it. And he is, really. He, He is all that we need him to be. And so uh, uh, I just wanted to continue talking a little bit um, this week, and next week we have our guests, and then uh, probably the following Sunday I'll, I'll speak again on another uh, aspect of the Spirit. But today, I wanted to continue uh, on from our Acts chapter 2, but I wanted to look at the results of the Holy Spirit, the results of the Holy Spirit. How do you recognize his presence in your life? How, how, how do you know it's him? How do, you, how do you know it's him in your life when something happens? Is it him? Is it the, the hot chili that you ate the night before? Is it your own pride? Is it your own selfishness? Is it just your own thoughts? When is it? How, do we, how, do we, how, how can we recognize that? How, do we, how can we be sure that it's the Holy Spirit? When you look at somebody else, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Because I think we can, I can speak for us as a church to say that we want the real deal. Amen? We, we want the real deal. And lots of times we don't get the real deal. Sometimes people say it's the Holy Spirit and it's really not him at all. Sometimes it's people's charisma. Sometimes it's people who are just talented speakers who know how to pump up a crowd. Sometimes it's not him, him. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, and we're just going to look at these verses in a second, but he tells Timothy in these verses that when the Holy Spirit is present, when the real Holy Spirit is there, there will be obvious results that we should see. And uh, uh, I, I've, uh, I've probably spoken on this passage before, but this week I just, want, I just took a fresh look at this, and I just want you to know I didn't pull out any old notes. Steve, this is a legit, fresh, hot off the press, okay? I just wanted to relook at this afresh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and just give you something that I, I, was, I was feeling as I was reading the scripture. Uh, take your Bibles if you have it. 2 Timothy chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. They say this. Timothy, this is Paul writing to Timothy. who uh, Tim, uh, Paul was like a mentor to Timothy, who was really almost like his, his father, a spiritual father in his life. He said, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith. Continue strong in you. This is why I remind you 
to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Sound mind, self-control, various versions, but uh, an actual really good translation is self-discipline when you look at the word. Paul says in verse 6, he says, fan into flame the gift that God gave you. You, so here we are. There's a participatory thing going on here. We must fan into flame the Spirit's power that is in us. And however he's gifted us, he is in us. But we must fan into flame, believer, the Spirit's power that is in us. You know why? Because we talked about last week that we're leaky, that we need to be continually filled. And here's the thing with fire. It has a tendency to go out. Have you ever had a fire going in your fireplace at your cottage or somewhere? And, and you know, everybody who's tended a fire knows that it needs a little stirring once in a while, right? You need to fan those flames to get that thing going. And that's, that's the same idea. See, and, and, and get this. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is weak. It's not that we, we need to keep him alive through our human effort. It's not, that's not what he means. It's the idea that the Spirit works in cooperation with those who honestly seek his power. So you're going to find somebody who is seeking his power, they're going to find it more and have more than the person who doesn't seek it. That's just the way it's going to work. And so... He's resident within us all, but why, why do some people burn with the anointing and the passion and, and the effectiveness of the Spirit and others don't? Part of the answer is desire. How big is your want to? And when your want to is big, he shows up in great ways. And so we, <clears throat> it's the idea that the Spirit works in cooperation with those who are seeking his power. We keep fanning the flame by following, I was going to say, how, how do you fan the flame? It's a, I'm glad you asked. Let me, let me see if I can answer that. How do we fan the flame in our lives? Like, say, oh, great, that's a great spiritual word, great preaching, fan the flame. Woohoo! what the world is at me? Well, here, how, here's how we fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in our life. We, we do it by following his leading first. Look at Galatians 5.25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So when he says go, you go. When he says stop, you stop. When he says speak, you speak. When he says don't speak, you don't speak. When you follow his leading, guess what you're doing? (sighs) Blowing on the embers to keep the fire burning, right? We fan him into flame when we live for him, when we follow him, when we live holy lives. You fan him into flame because it honors him, right? He's Holy Spirit, right? So he, he wants that for us. It's a characteristic of himself. We, we fan him into flame when we live holy. We fan him into flame when we work honestly. We fan him into flame when we follow his will, when we, when we obey his commands, All of these basic things 
We fan him into flame in our lives to say, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I want you to be alive and well in my life. I want to have the power, the anointing, the presence. I, 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 I am desperate for your touch, oh God. I don't want to live without you. Someone like that fans into flame the Spirit's power, and they will have it. Now, the opposite, of course, of and I've spoke on this uh, I spoke on both of these, I believe, maybe last year, but it's possible for us to do the exact opposite of fanning him into flame. We grieve him, we quench him, we squash him, we put him into a box and turn him into some religious thing. We, 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 can, we can squish those flames. And the truth is, is we probably all have done that in our lives at one time or another. Look at... Ephesians 4.30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. See, we, we can grieve him by the way we live. That's the opposite of fanning him into flames, right? Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So we, we, do, we don't want to bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way we live. Um, also, put up for me 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not, come on, say it with me, stifle, stifle. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Quench, put out, whatever word you want to use there, right? The exact opposite of what Paul is instructing Timothy and us to do. He's saying, listen, listen, young man, listen, church of God, we have got to fan into flames the gift of the Holy Spirit that's within us. We, we don't want to quench him. We don't want to grieve him. We don't want to box him up. We don't want to stifle him. We don't want to stop him short. We want to say, come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and in your fullness. Come in your own special way. Come, just come. This is the cry of our hearts, or should be. This is a part of how we, you know, how we are to live by fanning this flame and keeping it stoked, right? He can't burn if you're not giving him anything to work with. A fire goes out unless you're giving it wood. You've got to give him fuel. You've got to cooperate. You've got to give him something and let him burn because he wants to burn in you. Even in you, even in me, yes, even in you, even in little me, no. Just the pastor, no. Is it because I'm special? No. Everyone, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and have, have, have somehow leaked out the power. As Paul said to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Continually be filled with the Spirit. Now, I got to keep going here. So, is it 11 o'clock? Is that clock right? All right, I'm good. Whoo, gee, I, I got worried there. I thought it was later. Oh, we got all day. We're good. Okay, he, it says here, he is in, in verse 7, he is not, uh, and this is kind of where I, I want to camp on today, verse 7. He, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. So first it says he's not given us a spirit of fear. So what is that? Verse, he says he's not 
he's not a spirit of fear. He's given us uh, the Holy Spirit, and he's not a spirit of fear. It actually, this verse goes with Romans 8.15. Um, it says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. In, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba. This is the spirit of God. He is not a spirit of fear. There's many things that he is, but one thing for sure that he's not, it's a spirit of fear. And this is important for us to realize. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of fear. It, it, you see, some people get afraid of the Holy Spirit, especially non-charismatics, because they think we swing. In fact, soon we could swing off these chandeliers, because even if they fall, it won't matter. But, 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 but unless someone wants to save them, if they want to, talk to me, it's yours. Get a tall ladder and you take it down. But here's, we're, sometimes we're afraid, right? We're afraid. And he is not a spirit of fear. See, it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to serve God. He's the one that enables us that through him, we can overcome fear. We can overcome weakness. We can overcome the things in our life that we don't have a chance of overcoming without him. He just makes us better. The Holy Spirit gives us confidence. He gives us courage. He reassures us. In fact, he is the conqueror of fear. He's about, the, the, about as opposite of the spirit of fear as you could possibly ever get. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. I read this quote this week. He said this. He said, a spirit of fear is a perpetual anxiety that governs a person. They, you, you worry something will always go wrong. You, you worry that you'll displease someone. You are always looking over your shoulder. And then he he finished his quote by saying this, people who are governed by a spirit of fear have a constant dread of disapproval. And I thought to myself, this is very insightful because I, I think he's bang on. You know, if you obsess over what people think of you, it's a spirit of fear. Does that come from the Holy Spirit? No. If we obsess over these things, a spirit of fear settles on us. If we live, he says, in perpetual anxiety, this is not the work. This is not the result of the Holy Spirit. This is the result of a different kind of spirit. And so uh, look at uh, if we obsess over what people think. It reminded me of this verse in Proverbs. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. If we walk around like this, we're, we're trapped. We're in deep trouble. He is the spirit that sets us free, who gives us that shot of self-worth and self-assurance and self-confidence that I am a child of the king, that I am loved, that I am valuable, that I can do all things through Christ. It's his work. It's a result of his work in us. So, We all have fear, by the way, that comes upon us. We all have attitudes that rise up, that come from the flesh or from the enemy. I was even thinking Paul himself, who even wrote these words, okay? 
Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? He said this. He said, I am so depressed, so feeling the weight of everything around me, I, I despair even of life. That's what Paul said. He's not having a good day. Even Paul, all of us have our moments. But the point that Paul is making here to Timothy is that these feelings do not come from the Holy Spirit. These feelings do not need to be tolerated or lived out in our lives. And when they come, we must recognize them for what they are and get rid of them and ask Holy Spirit to give us Courage, confidence, boldness uh, to reassure us and to rid us of a spirit of fear. Obviously, Timothy is a young man and he's writing as a spiritual father to say, young man, you know that when you're younger, you have more self-esteem issues, you have more self-doubt issues. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes as we grow older, we, we, we get a little better in these things. But Timothy is a young man. And Paul is saying, as you begin and continue on in this ministry, my son, you're, you're going to have times of fear. You're going to have times of doubt. You're going to have times of difficulty. I myself even despaired of life. But understand that when those moments come, it is not Holy Spirit. And it is important to remember that. When we know where it's coming from, then we have a shot at dealing with it in a healthy way. So, I was said, you know what just popped into my brain? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Sing it with me now. Because he lives. Listen to this line. All fear is gone. Why? Because I know, oh, he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. When his presence enters, Fear is chased away like a little girl in front of a tiger. Do you understand? He's powerful. And fear cannot stay in his presence. Like light chases darkness, Holy Spirit chases fear. It departs in his presence. All fear is gone. It cannot stay. Have you ever had a time, I just felt his presence right there. Have you ever had a time when you're in the midst of something very challenging? Think about a time in your life when you've really been going through something very, very difficult, very challenging. And in the natural, you really should be afraid. You really should be worried. You really should be feeling anxiety, restlessness. But yet, instead, you feel confident. You feel peace. And somehow, in the midst of the storm, you feel a calmness. Has that ever happened to anybody? Honestly, has it ever happened to you? I just want you to know, that's the result of the Holy Spirit. Guess who showed up? 
(laughs) Guess who showed up? Maybe your situation didn't change, but your perspective on the situation changes. Because when he shows up, all fear is gone. I still don't know how it's going to work out, God. I still don't know how it's going to turn out. But somehow, I feel like everything's going to be okay. I feel like you're with me. I feel like somehow the money's going to show. Somehow the person's going to turn. Somehow the healing's going to come. Somehow I'm going to be given the wisdom and the strength to carry on. Somehow I feel better, even in the midst of a challenging situation. It is the result of the real deal Holy Spirit showing up. This is a powerful, powerful thing that happens. And when it does, give him thanks. Say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Only you can give me this. In the midst of the storm, I feel your presence. Welcome him. Fan him into flame. This is how we do it. Give him, give him the credit that he deserves in that sense. When you feel it. It may not last forever. Oh, I sure wish it did. It may not last forever, that feeling of confidence. But you know, you may need it again. I've needed it many times. But that's him at work. That's him at work. This is why we're encouraged, folks, to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Too bad we just can't capture that moment and feel his presence and his power and walk the rest of our days with it. But it doesn't work that way. We leak and, we, and, and, it, and it drives us back to our knees. It drives us back to the word to say, come again into my life. Fill me fresh. Strengthen me again. Your power was great for yesterday, but I need it again today. Help me, oh God. It's what he does. It's a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. How do you recognize the Holy Spirit? That. Recognize it. That's one. He says, a spirit of fear. He's not a spirit of fear, right? We can recognize the Holy Spirit, but I'm focusing on verse 7. Spirit of fear and power, love, self-discipline. But the first is he is not a spirit of fear. So when fear is gone, it's only because Holy Spirit showed up and did something about it. And so it is a result of the real deal. Guess what? A charismatic preacher can yell, scream, shout, dance, have people come up to the altar and make himself feel wonderful. But at the end of the day, if Holy Spirit doesn't show up, you walk out the same, the fear is the same, the anxiety is the same. You don't feel that the fear has been released. This is the real deal, Holy Spirit. And this is one of the things that he does. Listen, the devil can't give us this kind of peace. The devil can't give us this kind of confidence. People, people can't give that to you. It's it's only him. You know why the enemy can't give us that stuff? Because he is full of fear himself. Did you know that? He's afraid and he's running afraid. You know, I heard a guy say, the enemy is filled with fear 24 hours a day, 60 seconds of every minute, 60 minutes of every hour. He's running with fear. Why? Because he knows he's defeated. He knows what his future is, and he is afraid. This is the truth. Look at, let me prove it to you. Revelation 12, 12. 
Put it up for me. Did I jump ahead? No, here we go. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. Here it is. For the devil will come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Listen, he, when the day comes, he's going to know that his time is running out. And you can trust right now, he knows that his days are numbered. Our world's clock is ticking, and he is afraid. And so he can't give you this. Only Holy Spirit gives this. It is a result of the real deal work of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, it is him and him alone. So if you find yourself being bombarded by fear, remember where it's coming from. Paul makes it very clear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. And if Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And let him run away afraid. Because we've taken his fear upon ourselves too often and too many times. And we need to shove it down his throat and let him eat it for a while. God did not give us the spirit of fear. That's what Paul says. It's a result of the real Holy Spirit the real work of the Holy Spirit. So now, and I I promise I'll rip through these quick, okay? It's hot outside. I know. We're okay. You hot? You all right? Okay. I'm getting hot up here. Don't worry. All right. So he says power. So what is he? He's not a spirit of fear, but he is a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That's what he says. So look at power for a second. Holy Spirit, he's not, he's not the spirit of fear. He's the spirit of power. Now, this is, this is the first thing Paul says is power. And I believe it's important because power is what Jesus promised. It's the first thing Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came, right? He said, for you shall receive, come on, for you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the first words out of Jesus' mouth in his explanation on that day in Acts chapter 1. He, he will receive power. See, the Greek word is dunamis. It's, it's, it's where we get our English word dynamite, that he is explosive power, that he's the real deal. And it, like, not only on the day of Pentecost was Peter confident, all right? He, di- he didn't have the spirit of fear on him. He was confident. He was reassured. He was courageous, right? But I want you to note this. Not only, was he, not only was he confident, he was powerful. And it, they're, they're, they're different. They're different. You can be confident and have no power. He was confident and powerful. Now, it was easily seen in two ways. We talked about it last week a little bit. But first, he has the exact right words to say. And this is, again prophesied by Jesus and told them that this would happen. Look at Matthew 10, 19. He said, when you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So this is, again, this came out in Acts chapter 2. It wasn't Peter speaking. It was the Holy Spirit giving him words. It was the Spirit speaking through him. It was legit. I mean, second, by the way, the other thing that's real obvious is 
the Holy Spirit was working in the people that were listening. So this is, this is, where, this is where power comes in. So not only, not only is Peter confident and he's powerful and speaking a sermon that he had, didn't even know he was going to speak, had no time to prepare, and, and, and just walks up there and, and just gives it all, one of the most powerful sermons of all time. How does he do that? Oh, I wonder. Yeah. Well, but the second is, look at how the people responded. This is power. This is power, right? No one's arguing. No one's scoffing. No one's throwing tomatoes at him. No one's telling him to sit down or be quiet or go away. No, they listened. And the word says he preached for a long time. And they listened. Look it up. It says, look it up. Biblical. Preach long, Steve. It's biblical. Yeah, preach long. Come on. Oh, yeah. oh, really, Pastor? Yeah, I know. But it, he, he, he had this power, and it was not just upon him, but it was upon the people. They were listening to every word. They were absolutely convicted of their sins. They were transformed and changed in the presence of the Holy Spirit as they sat there listening to Peter's voice. Look at Acts chapter 2. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, What do we have to do? There was no mocking. There was, we believe you. Now, what do we have to do? What should we do? They were ready to take the next step. You see, he has no time. Peter has no time to put his thoughts together. He doesn't prepare anything. He had no idea he's even going to be speaking that day. But the Holy Spirit gave him the words to say. And listen, this is what we call the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is The anointing, a great example of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You can't work it up with your own ability. You can't work it up with your oratory skills. You can't work it up with your charismatic personality. You can't work it up. It is or it is not. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. He anointed Peter and he gave him a sermon to speak. And then he anoints the people and opens up their minds and their ears to hear and to receive what he's trying to communicate. It is powerful that day, incredibly powerful, with thousands being saved. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't fulfill the call of God in your life without his power, no matter what you're called to do or what you're called to be. Don't say, well, I'm not called to do this or I'm not called to do that or I just have a little gift here. And No, whatever your gift is, big, large, small, multiple gifts or singular gifts, you can't do it properly without the power of the Holy Spirit. When the power of the Holy Spirit rests on you, your gift becomes powerful. Your gift becomes life-changing, transformative. You begin to impact more people and to do something deeper in the lives of the people that you're impacting than you would ever hope to do with just your pure raw talent without the anointing. When the anointing falls, it breaks yokes. It saves lives. It does eternal business. That's what it does. So you can't fulfill the call of God without his power. You're, You're going to be weak. We are all weak and ineffective without it. Sometimes people use their own ability and call it the power of the Spirit. But I'm encouraging us. People can be gullible and believe lots of stuff. But honestly, we only want the real deal. 
And when he really comes, when he really comes, I don't have to tell you he's here. You'll know it. You'll feel it. You'll, you'll experience his power for yourself. And we have the choice to either fan that into flame or to box it up, quench it, grieve him, and let it go on to somebody else. But it is a definite result of the Holy Spirit is power. Real power is the result of the Holy Spirit. Next he says, love. So he's not a spirit of fear, but he's a spirit of power. And second, he's a spirit of love. So again, love and fear, I, I, I don't know technically, but I almost feel like they're opposite. And why I say that is because the Bible says in 1 John that perfect love drives out. So there's, there's a connection there with love and fear. That where perfect love resides, fear cannot stay. So as light, like I said, as light makes darkness disappear, so it seems love drives fear away. And Paul gives us a list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And many of you know those, and I encourage you to read them, and we've spoken about those before. But the first fruit that he lists, the very first fruit, or the first result of the Holy Spirit being in our lives is, say it with me, love. Love. Look up. You guys need to look it up. Not sure. It is. Trust me. It's for, hey, love. Galatians 5. It's love. It's the first one. So he, he's talking, of course, not about, not just about a regular kind of love, like I love chocolate or I love chicken or you know, I love you and all the other things. He, he's talking, again, about agape love, that it's, it's an unconditional kind of thing. It's more than just a feeling that it commits through the ups and downs, that it doesn't go away, it doesn't waver, it doesn't weaken. It is there perfect all the time. It shows itself through practical and tangible forms of service. Agape love is real, and when it's real, it, it plays out in a real way. So um, Paul describes it, and I, I know you've heard these, and sometimes we only say these words at weddings, but I just want you to look at these words afresh again today, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He describes this agape love in such beautiful, beautiful ways. 1 Corinthians 13, if you put it up for me. If I could speak all the languages of earth, and of angels, but I didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I I would have gained nothing. This kind of love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. I'm going to talk about that in a second. I love that one. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. 
Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. It's powerful. We, we, we read it at, you know, in, in uh, at weddings, and it's a really nice passage to read at weddings. But the, but the truth is, is it's applied to us all. How do we love like that? How, how can we agape love in our imperfection? Well, let me answer it for you. His name is Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can help us love. And when you see love in action... When you see love going above and beyond the call of duty, when you see love that's patient and kind and tender and forgiving, when you see love like that, it's got Holy Spirit written all over it. All over it. It doesn't come from the enemy, and it's sure not coming from you. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's got his handwriting all over it. Right? He says, love keeps no record of wrongs. I was thinking this week, why do we keep records? Why do we do that? Why do you keep your invoices and your bills, right? Basically, we keep them to prove, right, that we paid, right? We keep them to to prove that we've paid a bill, if anyone asks. And then it got me thinking, well, why, do we, why, why would we keep a record of wrong? It says, love doesn't keep a record of wrong. And it just got me thinking, we would keep a record of wrong because we want to have it in our back pocket to use when it comes in handy against our spouse, against our kids, against our enemy, someone who's ticking us off. Yeah, see what he did last Tuesday? I'm going to stick that in my C drive and just pull that out next time I need it, right? Right? I'm just going to make a little record of that and make a note of that. This is the kind of, this is how powerful agape love is, honestly. It, he says it keeps no record of wrong. Could you imagine? Seriously. That is life-changing. That means that if you offend me, call me bad names, think I'm a bad person and really hurt me, guess what? When agape love is flowing through my life in such a way, I'm able to not keep a record of that. I'm able to let that go. I'm able never to dis- discuss it again with you, even when, even when I have an opportunity to. Right? You know what I'm saying? No. Love keeps no record of wrong. It's a very powerful concept that only Holy Spirit makes capable of, of uh, it's the only, the only way we could ever do it. So anyway, the Holy, we've got to wrap up here, but the Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. It means every believer has the ability to love. It means every believer has the ability to love completely. Every believer has the ability to forgive totally. Everybody, everybody, for the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and we must understand this. We possess the spirit of love, but we must choose to fan into flame the work of the spirit in our life. He makes it possible. So when we love, we actually show proof 
we show the results of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And unfortunately, my friends, we also, the opposite, show the lack of the work of the Spirit in our lives when we show the lack of love. The church has been known for a lack of love for too long. How about we start a revolution and say, may the agape love of God be fanned into flame in my life. For the Spirit gives me power and he gives me love. And I have the ability to love. Even the, yeah, even that person. I have the ability to forgive. Even, yes, even that. We, we have the ability. The same Spirit is in us. And so when we love, we, we prove that the Holy Spirit is alive in our life. Last and real quick. Self-control. So he says he's not a spirit of fear. He's a spirit of power. He's a spirit of love. And he's a spirit of uh, self-control or self-discipline. This is also who he is. This, by the way, someone who has self-control, just think about it now. It's someone who has the ability to think clearly, to think wisely, to, to stay calm, to maintain balance, to not let things get out of control in their lives. The, 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 you know, one thing doesn't, doesn't you know, we're, 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 we can control ourselves, right? It, you know, I was reading this week, and I, to be honest, I just found this out this week, so uh, I'm not that smart. But in the ancient Greek world, self-control meant that you had control over every desire, But what I found out this week was when they said self-control in the ancient Greek world, they really were talking about three things, mainly three things, everything, but really three things. They were talking about um, food, sex, and the way we speak. So just saying this, if we had control over just those three things, our world would be a much better place. Food, sex, and the way we speak. So just think about it. I know I said sex in church. I know. But, 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 it, but I want to make the point here. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has given us the spirit of self-control. We live in a world where control is thrown out the window, where people get onto something and it spirals them into a hole and they can't get out. It is self-control and they can't dig their way out. They can't find their way out. They have succumbed to the power of whatever it may be, right? And they don't seem to have the ability to dig their way out. But honestly, if the ancient Greeks were focusing on just those three things, just think about it. We have the ability to control the food we eat. So that's a whole sermon in itself, isn't it? We have the ability to control the food that we eat. We have the ability to deal with our sexuality in a healthy way. We have the ability. It seems like the world is doesn't. But anyone who has Holy Spirit has the ability to deal with their sexuality in a healthy way, right? And here it is, Christian, maybe the one that impacts, impacts the church the most. 
we actually have the ability to control what comes out of our mouth. <laughs> to control what we say. Woo! Controlling our mouth, that's a work of the Spirit. Look at what James says. You know this, but just look at this. James 3.2. Indeed, if we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And we could control ourselves in every other way. So he's really sort of hinting here that controlling the way that we speak actually will lead to us being able to control a whole pile of other things in our lives. Meaning the tongue, right? It says, he goes on, you know, it's a flaming fire. It has the ability to set a whole field on fire. And like a small rudder steers a ship, you know, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it can steer us the wrong way or it can steer us the right way. And that's why we need the power of Holy Spirit to make sure that this is being led and guided and anointed and inspired by him. And very often, it's not. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. But, uh, but you, get, you get the point. Self-control is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. He is not a spirit of fear. He is a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. This is the spirit that we have. This, it's not just the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. This is why I wanted to take a fresh look at 2 Timothy today. This is also the results of the real deal Holy Spirit. He, he chases away fear. He gives us power. He fills us with love. And he gives us the ability to control our urges and ourselves and even our tongue and what comes out of our mouth. He does it all. He can do it all. It is self-control is a result of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, self-control, it brings honor to God. But I want you to know practically, it, it, it also brings respect and admiration to the people who know you. And you know that's true, Right? I mean, no one looks up to somebody who lives a life out of control. Nobody looks at a person like that and says, man, I I wish I could be as wild and out of control as you, filled with baggage and dysfunction and addiction and blowing my money and, and eating bad food and just having everything go wrong. Yeah, man. Woo, sign me up. You know? No. We look at people and go, wow, look at her. Look at him. Look at how disciplined he is. Look at, look at how he just keeps keeping on. How he's faithful. How he's eating right, living right, speaking right, treating people right, growing, learning. Yeah, he's making, she's making mistakes, but, but they're, they're, they're getting beyond it and getting better and, and, and striving to fan that flame of the Spirit in their lives. And self-control is one of the things that, 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 that should come when, the, when he's being fanned into flame. It is something that not only honors God, but it brings the admiration and the respect of others. People like it. 
you know the person that goes to the gym every day at 5 a.m.? You go, good Lord, how do they do that? Right? There's an admiration there for it. And I think that we need to have it. It's ours for the taking. So we've got to wrap up here. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. So if you're a believer, that same spirit lives in you. You know what that means? It means you can do it. It's not just Nike. It should be our motto too. Just do it. Why? Because we can. Live with love, live with power, and live with self-control. For the supernatural power of the Spirit that lives within you makes all of these things possible. And God's people said, Amen.